0: Uh, in the course of this thing that we've called Growing in the Spirit, I've I've had um, I decided to use that as an opportunity to talk about stewardship, about uh, our relationship to money and things like that. Now, actually, for those of you who have been through this whole process, we didn't talk much about stewardship at all. We talked about life and kind of just principles of living, principles of discipleship, which is very appropriate. There was a, a few messages that I had planned on giving that I didn't give, but I, I feel I want to give, and so that's what I'm going to give today. A few messages. We'll be here for another two hours. Now, I, 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 to, to this week and next week, and, and we'll see where it goes from there, but some things that I, I just have on my heart that I feel need to be said uh, that I didn't get a chance to say during that, that process. I want to read from First Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 6, where Paul says, Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, Uh, there's a way of doing godliness which isn't combined with contentment, a way of doing godliness as a way of trying to get life rather than express life, uh, a way of doing godliness out of a hunger to try to get God to like you or people to approve of you or to get guilt off your conscience or something like that. There's no gain in that. That's religion. That's religion. But when a person... Uh, strives to be godly godlike especially in terms of loving like God loves when you do that out of a life you receive from God out of a center of contentment satisfaction and fullness there's great gain in that that's what it's all about now, Paul says for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it you come in empty you leave empty if you have food and clothing we will be content with that it'll be enough it's it's sufficient Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with with many pains." There's a constant clamoring for our allegiance on the things of the world that takes us out of the rest that God wants for us. There's this center where, in, in which there is life and fullness and what we were created to uh, enjoy. And there's a constant distracting pull of things uh, to, to occupy our life and to fill our life and to get us chasing a lot of stuff and when we go down that road, Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's just pain. There's just pain. Everything the Lord tells us is for our own good. And, uh, and so he tells us, don't, don't desire that. Don't strive to get more and more of that. There's only pain, ruin, and destruction at the end of that. And then in verse 17, Paul picks up the theme. He says, for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty uh, or arrogant or to be, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They, the rich, are to do good, to be rich in good works. If you're rich, be rich in good works. Generous and ready to share, eager to share, looking for opportunities to share, the word means there. Thus, in doing that, storing up for yourself, themselves a, a treasure of a good foundation for the future. he's talking about your post-mortem future. So that they may take hold of the life that really is life. In contrast to the stuff in which there is no life, here's how you take hold of real life. Let's pray. I want to call the ushers forward. We're going to continue to worship the Lord uh, with an offering. And I want to pray for the offering. I want to pray for the message. Could I get up some people who are on the auditorium who will be intercessors for the next 40 minutes? Intercessors to cover the sermon in prayer. Need some more. Keep your hands raised. Need some more. I want this to be, just uh, have an anointing. Uh, I'm in this section. Okay, got some. Okay, very, very good. All right, let's pray. Father, it is uh, in the acknowledgement that everything belongs to you and we are just the uh, landlords, the stewards of what belongs to you. It's an acknowledgement of that that we now give according to your leading as as you lead us, back a portion to the work of your kingdom of the stuff that you have blessed us with. Uh, We pray, Lord God, that you would be always making your heart our heart and your mind our mind and uh, empowering us to swim upstream in a culture that is intensely self-centered and materialistic. And Lord, as the word goes forward this morning, I pray in Jesus' name that it would have an authority that does not come from words, human words or human wisdom, but comes from on high, Lord, because what needs to happen here, only your power can make happen. We need to be set free, Lord. We need to be woken up. We need to, uh, Lord God, have our, our thinking apparatus adjusted. Lord, do it. Use this message to do it. And be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Okay, let's start with a movie review, since we've been looking at a lot of movies here. Uh, Movie review, some of you know, in fact, most of you know, if you've been here for any length of time at all, that I am a fan of the movie The Matrix. I love The Matrix, great. Uh, I just see a profound amount of truth in that. So... If you know that about me, you'd know that, of course, I'd have to see the sequel, which I saw. I I got—I was one of the first people in the Twin Cities to see it. I went on late Wednesday night at the premiere, and uh, people are dressed in their Neo and Morpheus outfits wearing their sunglasses. I'm not that carried away, Uh, but kind of we have a Matrix cult being formed, and we all went to see this thing late at night at a theater on Wednesday because we couldn't wait the one day before it opened. And here's my review. I went in with very low expectations because I love the first one so much and sequels usually stink. And since I went in with low expectations, I was not greatly disappointed. Uh, Here's my Siskel and Ebert sort of review thing here. Um, It it does not have the sort of uh, heavy, innovative religious symbolism uh, any more than the first one does uh, And so that element is gone And the, the most profound thing About the first matrix Was just the concept of the matrix That there's an alien intelligence out there Controlling what we think and how we feel And what we think is real By stimulating the neurons in our brain uh, You know, that was The intrigue was was largely part of the mystique Of the first movie And the second one just kind of builds on that It, it starts where the other one left off So that's all gone um, there is also uh, a, uh, an element in this movie, one scene in particular, that is morally objectionable. It doesn't need to be there. It distracts from the movie. It makes it harder to enjoy. It makes it kind of work, and I wish it wasn't there. And for those kind of reasons, I can't really recommend uh, The Matrix Reloaded. The special effects are great. They're over the top. They're spectacular, spe- especially if you like fast-forward kung fu fighting. You know, it, it, It's pretty cool. There is, let me say this, one element in this movie that uh, was present in the first one, but really gets emphasized in the second one. And it was, it was I think, fantastic. It was profoundly made. The question that the Matrix Reloaded asks is, are human beings free? Is there any freedom in this, uh, this Matrix world in which we live? And the, the theme runs throughout this second movie. It, it, does everything happen according to fate? Is it all part of providence? Is it all planned? Or is there an element of free will involved in this? And uh, what you find out, and I'll tell you this because it's very hard to follow, and me giving you a little bit of a clue going into it will help you really get more out of the movie. I'm doing you a favor here. I won't tell you how the whole thing ends up and whatnot, but I'll tell you this. that The architect of the matrix, the central intelligence source, uh, sees free will as a sort of computer virus, a glitch in the system that these imperfect beings, you know, have. In fact, he, the, the, being a machine, he really doesn't believe in free will, and he assumes that if you can just, if you just control the neuronets more thoroughly and understand the being that you're working with, you can predict everything that they'll ever do. And so the question that's being asked here is, uh, is are human beings utterly controlled? Do we have any element of free choice? Uh, in the system in which we, we live. Um, it, it, I'll say one other thing about it, and that's this. Uh, it, it, the the movie ends up on the right side of the fence. It has the right view, and I, 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 it answers that question in the right way. Uh, Calvinists, dear brothers, you're not going to like this movie, okay? It's just not going to... In fact, all those who believe that everything is just going according to plan are actually playing into the hands of... The Never oh, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but... For you uh, free willers out there, you're going to get a good kick out of this movie. Uh, You'll go away happy. Okay, now, why do I say all that? Well, I'm not sure, but I'll figure it out. (laughs) There, There really is a profound truth to this whole thing that I've hit on before. The Matrix. Uh, the Bible describes this world largely in terms of the movie The Matrix. There really is a pattern to the world, Paul says in Romans twelve two. Uh The word pattern could be translated matrix. It's the tapestry of lies that envelop us at all times. And the Bible talks about the architect of this matrix, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4, the principality and power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, who controls the entire world, the entire matrix, 1 John 5.19. He's the the prince of this age, Jesus says in John 12, 14, and 16, and and on and on and on. uh, The the truth is that we are uh, to a large degree defined by the stimuli around us, Uh, this world of lies uh, installed false triggers in our brain that under the right circumstance activate the neural nets that constitute everything that we think is true and believe and feel and so on and so on. And what's true is that our interpretation of ourselves, of the world, of God, of what is good, of what is evil, of, of, of what, what we should be striving for is largely a byproduct of this matrix of stimuli that come at us and trigger the neuronets in our brain. comes at us from the day we're born and the media around us, the upbringing that we went through, uh, the songs that we hear, and on and on and on. That's the matrix. That's the pattern of this world. And the right question is to ask, how can we get free of this? Do we have any free choice? To a large degree, the, world that we, the way we interpret the world, we didn't choose. We didn't choose the experiences that get reactivated every time the right stimuli is out there. We don't choose it. It chooses us. We are, to a large degree, robotic victims of uh, footnotes to the things that are said to us and the stimuli that come at us. Now, what I, wanna, I say all that to say this. One of the central driving features of the matrix, the pattern of this world, one of the most fundamental, maybe even the most fundamental aspects of this matrix is uh, is the lie that, that uh, life is found just around the corner. It's the lie that if you just look a certain way, do a certain thing, acquire some stuff, then you'll have fullness of life. It creates a perpetual sense of discontent, of desire, a perpetual hunger inside of us, an insatiable need to acquire. And see, it's a fundamental aspect of the diabolical deception that is the matrix in the world. It's fundamental because insofar as you are living that lie, you can't live the truth that God created you to live in. You, we're created to receive a fullness of life from from God, fullness of love from God, and to live in an overflowing way towards one another. Life was meant to be lived, by, uh, lived as a dance by which we express ourselves, and it's all about expressing the love that God is that's given to us towards one another. It's about giving. But insofar as you're walking around with a perpetual state of hunger and pain and emptiness on the inside because you've been defined by the matrix, insofar as you do that, you're not living out of an abundance. You're living out of a vacuum, and you see the world in terms of what it can give to you, rather than in terms of what you can give to it. You live in the knowledge of the good. And, uh, you live off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why I go right to the beginning in Genesis chapter three. The serpent, the architect of the matrix, comes to Eve and lies to her, says you can't trust God alone for your needs. Uh, you're not okay as you are. Look at the lie in Genesis three. If you want to live a full life, if you want to be all you can be, if you want to actualize all your potentiality, if you want to have your eyes open, if you want to be wise, if you really want to live the good life, it's over there. You're not okay as you are living as a human being just getting life from God. Well, that's boring. No, life is found over there. So Eve, if you're going to be all you can be, there's something you've got to do. There's something you've got to get to you. There's something you've got to acquire. And then Eve gets this discontent, and now the tree starts looking good. The Bible says she saw that the tree was good for making one wise and opening up her eyes. It's the matrix. And it's all around us. It's all around us. Morpheus was right in, in, uh, in the first movie, although he's profoundly wrong in the second movie. You might pick up. Uh, but uh, when he says the Matrix is everywhere, you drive to church and it's there, you turn on the TV, it's certainly there. Wherever you go, it is there. And one way or another, it's, it, 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 it's embedded. It, this is the true conspiracy theory here, folks. There, there's a systematic attempt to get us to believe that, uh, that it's appropriate to live out of a center of hunger and desperation, always needing more things. If only we get this, if only we get that. That and it comes at us constantly. To a large degree, we're brainwashed by this. I, uh, this morning, here's the Sunday paper right here. Sunday paper. This isn't the whole paper, this is just one part of the paper. These are all advertisements. This is all advertisements. Uh, things you need. Here's a car that you need. Here's some stereo systems that you need. A cooler that you need. A bed that you need. Some underwear that you need. Here's some uh, furniture that I need. Uh, here's some glasses of wine. In fact, this is the same one. I got four of these things. I, they, four, in case I missed one, they gave me four other ones, exactly the same. Here's here's uh, some pantyhose that I'm sure I don't need. Here's some uh, a washer, dishwasher, dryer. There's a grill, and it goes on and on. Audio King, Best Buy, lawnmower. You know, and all of this. See, it's it, pizza. Ooh, that'd be good. <laughs> All right, I, I, I want pizza. That's all I need. Pizza and, and, and this copy machine. Those are the only things I need. I, I need this. I need this, too. I for sure need this. Yeah, video camera and and video camera and pizza and copy machine and, and a bed. A new bed. I, that's all I need. It goes, ah, look at this. It's all advertisements. All of it. And when another it's stimulating my neurons saying, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be cool? I need that. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh, I should get that. Well, I need it. Boom, boom, boom. It's activating stuff. You see, it's all around us. On the way to church last night, I just stopped at the gas station, got some gas, and I decided to buy a Glamour magazine. <laughs> okay, see, here's, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Courtney Cox. Uh, whether that's her body or not, nobody knows because I'm told most of the time they, they put the head on the body. Okay? Uh, that already, you, you just got to look to see past the message. I'm not saying this is evil. There's nothing evil with any of this stuff. You know, Sal, this is what keeps capitalism going. Nothing evil with this. Uh, but there's a, But we've got to be trained to see the messages embedded in, 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 in things. The lie behind the exterior. Okay? What's this saying? Well, just by virtue of her being her and, and her body being her body and the clothes that she's wearing and the way that she's standing, um, you know, it, it's communicating something. I mean, she's one of the beautiful people. In fact, you go through this whole magazine, and it's all beautiful people. They're, it's incredible. Look, There's a beautiful person. She's pretty. I, you know, it, it, they're all—probably half the bodies have been, you know, either altered in one way or another, or, uh, you know, f- th- uh, photograph uh, altered—whoa. <laughs> uh, there's— Okay, so that's communication, especially to young people. I want to look like her. I want to be sexy like her. I want to have a body like her. And, and, you know, I want to be one of the beautiful people who wear the stylish clothes and and, and whatever. And then what's being sold here? And I'm not saying Glamour's a bad magazine. There's some good stuff in there, I suppose. Almost all of it's advertisements, though. You pay three and a half bucks for a book on advertisements. It's... Okay, anyways, hotter, happier. Those are synonymous, basically. If you want to be happier, you've got to be hotter. And so here's sex the way you want it. All uh, oh, the foreplay, the fun, the closeness you've been craving. Now, I, I, you know, I can see a good use for a book on that that maybe some men should read. But, but uh, the, the, what, the message that's being communicated is that if you're going to be happier, you've got to be hotter, and here's sex the way you want it. 347 dirt cheap fashion and beauty steals because we all want to look like Courtney Cox, at least all the women do. If a guy does here, I want to talk to you after the service. You have genius hair tricks. How to make your hair just right. I love this one down here in the lower right-hand corner. Love your life now. Why wait? Oh, that's what we've always needed. Love your life now. You know, if you just do this and acquire this and get this, well, now you can begin to love your life. But the message is not until, not until. And see, we just have to realize that in our culture, it's particularly intense in advertising, but every culture's got it. The matrix is all about creating in us a perpetual state of discontentedness. Not having enough. Not being okay as you are. And with that comes this diabolical lie that if only you had a different body, and if only you had a different spouse, and if only you looked like Courtney Cox, and if only you had this kind of hair conditioner, if you only had this kind of car, if you only had this kind of a house, if you only had this kind of a stereo system, if you only listen to this kind of music and brush this kind of toothpaste and what have you, then you'd be fully alive. Then you'd have the good life. Then you'd be one of the pretty people, the beautiful people, the awry people, the fully alive people. And the sad thing is, and the true thing is, that there is, that if only never pans out. It never pans out. You never get it. And even when you get it, they change it on you. All this fashion stuff. I, I, you know, uh, my kids are always telling me, Dad, those are last year's pants. Uh, well, no, I'm wearing them this year, thank you. But uh, who makes up these rules? You know, blue is in, green is out. No, green is in, blue is out. No, brown is in, and green and blue are both out. And you've got to wear it with the bell bottoms. No bell bottoms, no semi-bell bottoms, you know, slit lace, no slit lace. And, and it, it, you, you're in this year, uh, but next year it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a different shtick. Who makes up these rules? I mean, you look back in the 70s and people think they look silly, but at the time they looked really, really cool. And if you ask me, I think they still look cool. Uh, but we're conditioned. Oh, that looks 70-ish. Ugh, boring. Can you believe I wore my hair like that? Well, at the time, it was the going thing, and in 10 years, you're going to be looking at this age saying, I can't believe I wore my hair like that. See, brainwashed. And who's brainwashing you? I'll tell you. People who are making money off of getting you to buy their hair stuff and clothes stuff and car stuff and whatever stuff. So they just recycle it, and, and see, the masses go along with this. You know, okay, this is what I gotta wear. I need this for sure. Chocolate. Oh, I want pizza. I I, I want this. You stimulate my neurons. I okay. I oh, I gotta have this. Oh, this is cool. I want to look like her, and it goes on and on and on. You know what it's like? Uh, it's like it's like I I, I was told this that uh, I'll just talk while I'm tying my shoe here. Excuse me. Um, it's a lot like you know I'm told that when they when they race dogs at the dog track, they put this fake rabbit out in front of them. And all these greyhounds are running after the, Gotta get the rabbit, rabbit gotta, get, gotta get the rabbit. Right? Trying to catch that stupid rabbit. And they never catch the stupid rabbit. And good thing for the dog track owners, the dogs are profoundly dumb because you think they would have got a, you know, a clue here. Hey, did you ever figure it out? We never catch that rabbit. Uh, but there's, you know. And I'm told that if the machine breaks, here's the thing. A person who works with this told me this last night. If, if that machine breaks, either during a race or during training or anything like that, they got to put the dogs down, because once they get to to that rabbit, they realize that that's not a real rabbit. And they'll never chase it like that again. It ruins—in other words, the whole rat race, or dog race as the case may be, depends on the dogs believing a lie. That I might be able to you got to believe that if only I catch that, then I'll get a full meal. And and, uh, uh, it's worth chasing after. And so it is in The Matrix. You hold out this artificial food. It doesn't satisfy, never would satisfy, but it, it's always, it's always one, one inch ahead of you. And, and, but you believe it. If I only get this, if I only get, the, oh, if I acquire more of this, if I look like this, ah, then, then, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. Then my life will be, you know, and, and, and we're like rats on a, on a treadmill with a cheese just in front of our nose. And just as, as we get close to it, the, the treadmill speeds up. And the result is that we're reduced to a robotic herd of consuming units. And the architect of the matrix is laughing all the way to the bank as we now spend all of our time and all of our energy uh, uh, chasing after stuff, losing our center, living life out of a a black hole, a suction, trying to get stuff rather than out of a fullness that God wants to give us absolutely for free. Not having the time that we need to spend with loved ones, not having the time we need to spend with God because they're too busy chasing stuff. Perpetually exhausted, perpetually worried, living in anxiety. And the enemy's laughing. The architect of the matrix is laughing all the way to the bank. The question we've got to ask ourselves is this. Do we want to be part of the consumer unit robotic herd? The lemons just go along, chase the dogs going, chasing the, uh, that, that fake rabbit around the track. How long are we going to buy that lie? How long are we going to go just just have our neural nets stimulated by all the stuff going around here? God is calling us to wake up. Wake up to the lie. There's no contentment. There's no life found in that. Wake up. Take the red pill. Uh, begin to have your eyes opened up to see the messages, the, the presuppositions, the lies behind the system of things that control things. Uh, uh, wake up to the reality that you have, the second movie is showing us, a choice involved here. You don't need to be defined by the world around you. You don't need to be defined by the things that have gone on in the past. You don't need to be defined by the stimulation, the Jerking around of the matrix in your brain by the architect of the matrix, you don't need to be anybody's puppet defined by no one. You can be a child of God who's defined to the core of your being by the person of Jesus Christ, living life out of a fullness that he gives you for free. Amen? That's true life. Wake up to it. But you've got to wake up to it. You've you've, you've got to become uh, aware of it. True life is found in Jesus Christ, not in stuff. True life is found in the unconditional love that God wants to give you for free. That's where fullness is found. And you can be rich and have that, and you can be poor and have that, but being rich certainly isn't going to give it to you. Full life is found in the peace and the joy, the tranquility, the rest that God gives you absolutely for free and all the stuff in the world. uh, Chase that all you want, but it's not going to give it to you. Even when you get it, you don't get it. You just chase more stuff. True life is found in freedom and the stuff of this world may make you bound, but it will not make you free. True freedom is waking up to the matrix to realize that you don't need to be defined by that. To swim upstream, to not... Be part of the herd to say, I will tell my brain what is true, what is right, what is real. Not the media, not past mom, not my past dad, not anything else, but our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no life found in the pursuit. No contentment, no no ultimate value found in the pursuing of things. Wake up to the lie. Okay, now I've said that there's no life found in pursuing riches. I also want to say this. There's no life, no life found in pursuing poverty either or in being poor. Okay, let, 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 let's get some balance here. I, sometimes, you know, the, the Bible does have a lot of warning about the riches of the world. That's something we need to hear. We'll hear more about it here in a second. But you also got to realize that nowhere does the Bible make. Being rich, an evil thing, and being poor, a virtuous thing. Sometimes, well, some of us have had a, a tendency to do that. That, you know, the, the rich people are the bad people and the poor people are the good people. They should all be sainted. I grew up with a dad who basically did that. He was always for the underdog and against the upper class. And I think in my more, my less mature years, now I'm mature and wise in all things. But when I was younger, I, I, I think I had a little bit of that edginess to me as well. But see, the thing is this. You can be poor and be just as miserably discontented as a, as, as a rich person. There's no difference between that. There's nothing more virtuous about that. It maybe gets manifested in a little bit more righteous way instead of going for your fourth billion dollar at someone else's expense. You you, you just have this sort of class envy. Uh, You know, you you look at their houses or their cars or their clothes and there's this envy there. There's this jealousy there. Class envy. Marxism is based on this. And and what you really want is for them to share some of what they have with you. But you don't say it like that. You put it in, the, in terms of justice. It's not fair. It's not just that they have so much. And other people, i.e. me, have so little, you see. But that discontentedness, everyone has a basic need and a basic right to have food, shelter, and clothing. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says. And one of the jobs of the church is to make sure that everybody has that. But beyond that... The, Class envy of the poor is no more virtuous than the rich. In fact, Paul is talking, he says, it's the desire to be rich that leads into all sorts of temptation. So he's clearly talking to people who aren't rich. It's the desire to be rich. The interesting thing is this, because we buy into the matrix, we always define the rich as those who are just above us on the economic scale. Ever notice? That's kind of like middle age. Middle age is exactly where I'm at. Uh, you know, uh, once upon a time, middle age was in the 30s because I was in the 30s. Now middle age is 40s and 50s as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sure when I'm 60, that'll be middle age. It keeps on changing. Well, that's, how, that's what we do. You know, the, the rich. And so we always think that if only I was up where they're at, well, then life would be fine. Life would be good. Those who make uh, $30,000 a year, they look at the $50,000 a year people and they say, man, if I made $50,000 a year, then I'd, I'd have the car that I need, the house that I need. My, I could put, put aside some money for my kids to go to college. And the $50,000 a year are looking at the $100,000 a year, people saying, oh, man, if I had $100,000, well, then <clears throat> how can they possibly have money problems? I mean, my golly. Uh, if I had that, well, then I could have the car that I need and the house that I need, and I could put aside some money for my kids to go to college and maybe even give some to the church. And the $100,000 a year, people are looking at the quarter million dollar a year, people saying, oh, man, they are so rich. We are so poor. If I, if I had that kind of money, well, then I could have the house that I need and the car that we really need, and, and, and we could put aside some money for our kids to go to college, and we could give something to the church. But the quarter million dollar people are looking at the million dollar of your people and they're saying, man, if I had that kind of money, well, then I could have the house that we need. You know, our bathroom's too small and we don't have enough of it and we need more, we could have another car so it wouldn't have to be so inconvenienced and could put aside some more money to go to a better college and we could give more to the church. And the million dollar people are looking at the five million who are looking at the 50 million who are looking at the five billion and it goes all the way up. It's just a, a part of the strategy of the matrix is to get us to always be looking at the people that are ahead of us rather than the people that are behind us. Because if you look at the people that are behind you, which in America is about 94% of the population on the globe, now you'd feel grateful where you're at, and there'd be a sense of contentment. But if I keep on looking at the 5%, the 6% that are above you, it creates discontentment, and there's this longing to want to be there. The reality of the situation is that the average income in America, if you earn about the median income in America, which I'm told is right around $39,000, $40,000 for a family of three, You are already in the top 7% of people on the globe. You are in the richest 7% of people on the globe. Which means that probably most people in this room, there is poverty in America. We know about that and the church is called to do something about it. But for most people in this room, we are by world standards rather rich. And we need to not just compare ourselves with the 6% of Americans who are above us, but look at the rest of the globe. So this passage applies to us. Now let's look at it a little more carefully. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Oh, i got to speed up here. Okay. I haven't been talking fast enough, you know. (laughs) As for those who in the present age are rich, he says, command them not to be haughty, arrogant, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us everything uh, for our enjoyment. Now note here. Paul doesn't say, as for those who are rich in the present age, tell them to not be rich. He doesn't say that. Nor does he say, tell them to be miserable about being rich. Uh, They should at least be miserable with it, feeling guilty about it. No, he says, don't put your trust in it. Trust in God who gives us everything, who blesses us richly for our enjoyment. Apparently, it's not even wrong to enjoy some of that. That's the point I had to learn. To enjoy God's you with some stuff. You know, the earth was meant to be enjoyed. That's closer to God's ideal. You enjoy stuff. There's nothing wrong with enjoying stuff. I'm wearing shoes that are better than I'd have. You know, these aren't the the bottom-of-the-line shoes. These are New Balance shoes. I happen to like good shoes. I run a lot. and My, my, my feet are sensitive. i have real sensitive. So I, I like to put, so you know, these are $80, $90 tennis shoes here. You know what? I enjoy them. And you, you, know, you can judge me if you want for having New Balance shoes. I could have got cheaper. But you know what? I'm going to enjoy these. I'm going to enjoy these. I, I like them. I can jump with them. I can run with them. So there, okay? <laughs> enjoy it. So he doesn't say don't be rich and he doesn't say be miserable. He says rather enjoy it. There's a place to enjoy it. Uh, It's superfluous. It's not absolutely necessary. Jesus changed water into wine at a wedding, for goodness sake. He said, enjoy it. It, That wasn't like the most dire necessity in the world, was it? But Paul does say three things that we need to hear very, very, very clearly. Number one. He says, don't get arrogant. Don't get haughty. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomena of human nature. We've, uh, we tend to take those who have, who are wealthy, uh, who have prestige or whatever, and put them up on a, a pedestal um, and, and sort of give them more honor than them poor folks. Paul says, don't do that. James says, don't do that as well. Don't get arrogant. Don't think that there's any special worth that you have because you have stuff and other people don't. One of the things that really helps to bust out of the matrix is to realize this that you didn't do anything in some pre-existent life that merited you be being born here if you were born here and being and having the wealth that you have while other people are going hungry now, you can say, yeah, well, I work hard for a living. I've earned what I have, you know, and, 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 uh, and that's a good thing. That, that, that's a godly thing. Yes, true. But also realize this. You put in eight, you put in 10, you put in 12 hours a week, and if you're not detracted from your family, that's a good thing. But people in Cambodia and Haiti also put in 12-hour days and, and, uh, and, and, and they, don't, they don't have to show for it what you have to show for it. And there's nothing you did to, be earned, to earn to be in this situation rather than that situation. I remember the time when I was in Haiti driving through the city of Soleil, one of the poorest places on the planet, and my eyes made, made eye contact with this little kid uh, uh, going through this giant smelly garbage. He was stunk so bad we had our windows closed because we couldn't tell like the smell. He's looking for food in that. And as we drove past in our air-conditioned van, our eyes made eye, 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 eye contact. And like a revelation, I, I, I knew this intellectually before, but now I felt it existentially. The, the question, why am I on the inside of this van instead of out there digging for food? And it's got nothing to do with me. One way of saying it is, is, is to say, you know what, it's just pure luck. I got lucky. I got lucky. And I'm not going to feel guilty for getting lucky, but on the other hand, I'm not going to feel arrogant for getting lucky. I, I didn't earn this spot. With, with that awareness comes this, this uh, a broadening of consciousness, if, if you will, because now I realize that with my wealth comes a responsibility. I've got a responsibility that kid looking for food doesn't have, and that is what can I do with this? I can enjoy it, and that's a, that, that, that's a godly thing, but there's also a responsibility that comes with this. But my point right now here is simply this. The last thing I should ever do is feel like somehow I'm special or better because I have it. If you, drive a Lear, you fly a Learjet wherever you go because you're that wealthy, that's fine, that's wonderful. But don't think for a second that you're better than the hooker on Hennepin Avenue. You both have unsurpassable worth, and it's got nothing to do with your Learjet. It's got everything to do with what your creator thinks about you. <laughs> Amen. You may drive a Rolls Royce, fine, enjoy it, but don't look down on people who drive 1970 Pinos. And maybe that you just are into the high life. You know, you can just afford all the finest clothes, the finest New Balance shoes, the finest ties, smoke the finest cigars, drink the finest wine, eat the finest food, live in the finest house. But don't think for a second you've got anything up on the on the single mother in the inner city with five kids living off a of welfare. Or the panhandler on the street corner. No, you're all you're all human beings. Who have unsurpassable worth because of your creator. It's got nothing to do with your fine style life. Don't get arrogant, number one. There's a tendency to do that. We are the better ones because look what we have. Number two, and this is so important, be careful, Paul says. Be careful. Don't put your hope in this stuff. Don't put your hope in this stuff, he says. Don't love it. Love is about ascribing worth to it. You got it, enjoy it, but don't love it. Don't grab it. Don't put your hope on it. Hope is what you grab onto when you fall off the edge of a cliff. You grab onto that branch, you're hoping it holds. Hope is what makes you feel secure. It's what keeps you from falling. It's what keeps your life together. It's what gives you a sense of well-being that life is worth living. That's what you hope. And Paul says, don't let an ounce of that be based on the stuff you have, the car that you drive, the house that you live in. Put your hope on, the, on God who gives, blesses us richly, gives us these things for our enjoyment. But don't put any hope, any worth, any identity in any of that stuff. Easy come, easy go. It's all uncertain, he says. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. In fact, the only thing that is certain is that you won't have it tomorrow or the next day, sooner or later, that branch that you are grabbing onto is going to break. Paul says we, in, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. Oh, this will help you get free of the matrix. If you live in this reality, uh, you know, you, you, you don't take one penny, one nice thing with you when you graduate to the next level. Not any of it. As I've said before, no one's ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it, it's not like you're moving to a different location here. I was told that when, when, when they bury the deceased, that those nice suits they put on, on the males, they don't have any pockets in them. And that's symbolic. Why would they need pockets, you see? Uh, you, go, you leave with the same stuff you came in with, and that's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Wake up to how vaporous, how transitory the stuff of the world is, and don't put any hope, any worth on it at all. Don't cling to it. But see, we need to be on guard because there's something about stuff that pulls us in that direction. There's an illusory quality to it that grabs us and makes us think that it's kind of permanent, that it, that it has some kind of intrinsic value. So you've got to be on guard, on guard with this. That's why Paul says "Don't the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You start putting worth on, on the money and the wealth that you have, and man, you're going to be involved in all kinds of destructive evil in your life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, No slave can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. Okay, you have a choice to make here. Jesus uses the word that's translated wealth here. The word is mammon. And it's not the usual word for for wealth. Actually, he's depicting wealth as as uh, as a being, a demonic being. Some scholars hold that he is referring to a demonic being, mammon being its name. And there's a power there. Whether it's literal or figurative doesn't matter. What Jesus is getting at is this. There's something about wealth that pulls you to serve it. And that is in competition with God. And you can't do both at the same time. I don't know if any of you have ever read Milton's Paradise Lost. That famous, uh, long, long, but wonderfully insightful poem that he wrote. And Mammon is one of the angels in God's court before the, uh, the foundation of the world. But even before the world's created, Mammon is looking at the streets of gold. And he's in awe of the, 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 the glory of, the, of the, the city of God, more than he is uh, at, at God. That's the pull of mammon. And in the matrix of the world in which we live in, he tries to do that. He makes everything look so glittery. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve saw that the, that the food was good to eat. No, it wasn't. It was terrible to eat. But he, he gives that illusory quality to the whole thing. There's a pull that's, that's there. The spirit of mammon all around us comes at us through all these pages. Because only by getting mammon can you get that stuff. The, the, the pull is, is, is that spirit that says, mine. It's mine. This is, I own this. I work hard for this. I, I have a right to this. It's the spirit of Gollum in Lord of the Rings. My precious. My precious. Everyone wants my precious. They're always after my precious. Even the preacher right now, he, he says he's trying to help me get free, but really, he just wants more of my precious. Everybody's after My precious. You know, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true, my precious. That—that's the spirit that is there. There's a gravitational pull to stuff, and the more stuff you have, the more the pull is there. Be careful. Be careful. It's like gravity. You know, if you were on Jupiter, you'd weigh ten thousand times what you weigh here on Earth. And the reason is because there's so much more planet there. The the pull is stronger, and you can be glad that you don't live on Jupiter. You'd be ten thousand times heavier than you are right now. Now that doesn't make Jupiter a bad planet. Jupiter's a fine planet, I might say. It just means that if you're going to stand upright on Jupiter, you're gonna, it's going to ta- take some, some work. You've got to strive for it more than you do here on Earth. So also, there's nothing wrong with acquiring wealth. In fact, it's a good thing because now you can do a lot of stuff with it. It's a tool that you have. But be careful. There's that my precious spirit that will pull you towards it and, and, and suck you in on it. There are people who fall into this black hole comp- totally and irrevocably. You do, it just sucks you in. I, I, uh, and sometimes it's good to look at this because you can see then the tendency perhaps in your own life. A friend of mine told me about his grandmother. And this was four years ago. She may be dead now. I don't know. But she was 95 at the time. She inherited a million and a half dollars or a million dollars, something like that. And um, it, it was her precious. She fell in love with this. This was her, this was her life. My precious. It's mine and over time as, as she used it as a weapon as sometimes wealthy people do to control others and if she couldn't control you that's the spirit of mammon talking if she couldn't control you she'd cut you out of the will well you know if you don't uh, if you don't visit me this much then I then, then I'm not going to put you in my will you're not going to get my precious and by the time she was 95, she's managed to alienate all three of her kids and all other relatives, uh, cut them out of the wheel. And now she's all alone in her little room because she wouldn't even spend her precious on getting a better house for herself. Living here as this miser, counting her money on her way to dying. Just sucked out, just devoured by the God mammon. And there is that pull. There is that pull. We need to be aware of it. We need to be cautious, be careful with this stuff. The tragedy is that that woman... She could have done so much with it. She's not going to take one dime with her where she's going. It'll be absolute, it's absolutely worthless. It's an utter, utter deceptive illusion. In the name of giving her life, it's totally sucked life out of her now and forever. But she could have done so much with that. She could have enjoyed it, and that wouldn't have been a bad thing. God loved her, loves her, and, and, and wants her to enjoy this, but then she could have used it to. to, to Trade it in some of that currency for the currency of the eternal kingdom of God. And the currency of the eternal kingdom of God is about love. When you use the stuff for love, now it lasts forever. It goes on and on and on. But you got to change currency. The picture I kind of get in my mind is this. The analogy I got is this. If you're going to Cambodia and uh, you're taking all your money over to Cambodia, you're going to be a wealthy person over there, so you think. But if you get off of, of the plane to Cambodia with U.S. dollars, they don't mean a thing over there. You've got to trade in the currency so that you have Cambodian coinage. Uh, your U.S. dollars aren't going to you know, work over there. So also, folks, we are on a plane ride to the kingdom of God. We're on a plane ride to eternity. And uh, we have here in this life that we have right now, we have various things that God has blessed us with. It's all earth currency. You've got to know this. When we land and your foot steps on the ground, it will mean nothing. Zero. Now, it, it, it's utterly worthless. You don't take a penny with you off of the plane. What you do take with you is the currency of love that you've acquired with that, you, that earth currency. When we trade in it, when we use it for the furthering of the kingdom of God, now it takes on an eternal value. Which leads to my third and final point, which I do in three minutes. And that is simply, Paul says, don't be haughty, be careful. And number three, be wise. Be wise in how you live. Uh, Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, They are to do good, to be rich in good works generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure. Here's what's wise. Think about the future. A person who doesn't think about the future is not wise. Think about the future, and I don't mean next year. I mean one second after you die. Store for yourself a treasure of a good foundation for the future. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. He loves to do that. You can enjoy that, but here's the major purpose so that by always having enough of everything, you get to share abundantly in every good work. God blesses us. We got lucky. Here we are living in America, and, and, and we have various degrees of blessing. There are some here maybe who don't have the basic necessities. This sermon doesn't apply to you. Uh, the church needs to help you get those basic necessities, food, clothing, shelter. The rest of us have, have that taken care of and then some. And, and, and the reason why we're blessed, the Bible says is number one, because God loves to bless you. He, enjoy it. Don't go feeling miserable about that. But number two, and even more importantly, so now you get to bless others. You get to trade in that currency for eternal value. You get to, uh, to, to use it to further the kingdom of God. It's a tool that can be used. Be careful with it, because it can suck you in. Don't buy into the matrix, the lie of the culture. Stay free and use it for the kingdom of God. And in doing that, number three, you store for yourself a treasure in heaven, a treasure in heaven that never lasts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, The only thing that lives forever is love. However you invest in love, directly, indirectly, individually, collectively, that goes on forever and ever. Everything else is just dust in the wind. Just dust in the wind. Close your eyes. I want to ask you this question. This is the key to contentment. This is how do you live contentment out of fullness, getting life from from Christ, living wisely. This is the life. Everything else is just a greyhound chasing an artificial rabbit around the track. So I ask this question. This is a, a matrix-busting question. Fast forward the movie of your life right now to the time when the plane has landed and your foot touches ground in eternity. And maybe seven days from now, maybe seven minutes from now, for all any of us know, maybe 70 years from now, it doesn't matter. That's such an insignificant difference. You, the plane has landed. You died one second ago. Are you there? You died one second ago. And now the question is, how rich are you now? How rich are you now? Which is the question, have you lived for love? Have you used what God blessed you with for love? I'm going to close in a prayer here, and I'd like to ask as I'm praying the prayer team to come forward, and if you have any need whatsoever that you would like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and get that prayer. Relationships, maybe financial matters, whatever. If you're here this morning and you have not entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's step number one. That needs to happen. And it needs to happen today because tomorrow's not promised you. And so as w- 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 when I conclude our, my prayer, I want to invite you to come over to the, my right, to your left, up here front. And there's a person who will explain to you what is involved in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and beginning to walk with him. And now I want to pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Free us from this diabolical matrix that saturates, bombards us, immerses us in lies day and night. Lord, we do not want to be controlled by any enemy of yours. We don't want to be jerked around by the stimuli of our culture, the ceaseless bombardment of neuronet activating stimuli. No, Lord, we want to be your disciples. We want to follow your leading. We want to follow your truth. We want to follow your commands. Father, will you right now, as we make a commitment to do that, in your hearts, make a commitment to do that. Holy Spirit, keep us awake. Uh, Keep us awake. Lord, whatever clarity we have right now, we pray, Lord God, that you'd lock it in. So we really live tomorrow with this insight and Wednesday with this insight and next Saturday with this insight. Help us to not be pulled in by the God mammon and to grab hold of my precious, but to see, Lord, that you are the only precious thing. You are the the pearl of great price, the bright morning star. We cling to you and to you alone. Help us to live that out consistently and therefore live free and therefore live wisely storing up a treasure in heaven as we use what we have and all that you've given us, our time, resources, energy, and money to express your love to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. Be free, be free. Do not let the architect of the matrix jerk you around. The altar is open if you want to come forward for prayer. If you need Jesus, over here on the right, man will explain to you how to enter an eternal life. God bless you guys, we love you.